This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Oh, good to see you. Thank you. Look at this is the faithful crew on a holiday weekend. How fun is this? Good to be together. Good to be together. So they came to ask him a question. And you look at the life of Jesus and people had lots of questions for him. And sometimes those came from a very sincere place and sometimes they didn't. On this particular day, they had sent one of their own to go and try and stump him because they'd been doing this for a little while now. They were trying to stump Jesus so they could make him look like a fool because this group didn't like Jesus. And so the guy who comes asks him a question. And, and what's amazing is Jesus just kind of cuts through all the games and he answers the question really well. So well, in fact, that the answer he gives to the question reveals God's heart. It reveals God's heart for what God desires for us and what God desires from us. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to chase that. That there's a God who is good and there's a God at work in our world and a God who is for us and he offers us the best. How do we step into that? How do we experience God's best in our story, in our life? So we're going to chase that for a couple of weeks. And so what I want to do today is jump into that story where Jesus helps us see God's heart. And so this story takes place in one of the accounts of his life in Matthew's account. So there's these stories we have called gospel stories, good news stories that were written by his first followers that tell us the life of Jesus. And so in this particular day, Matthew's recording for this, this moment that we see in this account of this group of people that have been asking him some questions. And so if you want to see the bigger context for yourself, I would just say pick up Matthew, go to chapter 22, and you can see the larger thing. But I want to focus in on what Jesus is doing here in this moment. And so this is what we see in Matthew's account. We're told this in Matthew 22, verse 35. One of them, and so he's referring to the religious leadership of the day, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most, com- most important commandment in the law of Moses? And so this was a very heated question in their day because there were all sorts of laws that were given way back in ancient times to this guy Moses that God was trying to help the people understand, here's how best to live your life. And so for generations, they'd been trying to figure out how do we do this? And so their religious leaders would have huge debates over these questions. And so the point of him asking this question is to try to get Jesus in trouble by not picking the right one. And so he doesn't really care about Jesus' answer. They're just trying to get Jesus in trouble. And yet, I don't know, it's kind of cool when you look at Jesus. Sometimes Jesus just is like, okay, play your games. I'm just going to tell you what it is. (laughs) And so what you would think possibly would be where Jesus would go for the answer would be maybe in the Big Ten. Are you familiar with the Big Ten? Like the Big Ten Commandments that, that are these, these things that are kind of like they were given to the people and they were like kind of the, the foundation from which all the other laws flowed from. And the first four of those ten have to do with our relationship with God. And then the other six have to do with our relationships with one another. So it's like number one is like, I'm God. There is no other. God was just trying to help people figure that out. And, and then it just kind of continues on that. And then there was some about in our relationship with one another. Like an important one would be, don't murder each other. You're like, that sounds like a good idea, <laughs> right? And you think maybe Jesus would have picked one of those, but he doesn't. Instead, this is how Jesus answers the question. Well, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first 
and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It's interesting how Jesus answers this question because what he's helping them understand, okay, you want to know what God actually desires. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest thing that God would desire from you is that you would love him with everything you've got. That you would love him with all that you are. So much so that it would flow into the relationships around you. That you would actually love other people as much as you'd be willing to love yourself. And what's amazing is that what Jesus says is that if, if you could do these two, you actually cover all of them. Because a person who is learning to do this is going to be a person who does every one of the big ten. <laughs> is a person who gets all the others right. And what Jesus is helping us understand in this moment is that this is God's greatest desire. Like, have you ever just wondered, like, God, what, what do you really want from me with my life? And here's Jesus answering it. That God's greatest desire is this, that we would love him. That we would love him so much with everything we are that it would spill out into the world around us, to the people around us. And it's an interesting thing when I think about it. Like, like why would God ask us to love him? Because I don't know about you, I, I feel like every day I'm kind of waking up like, I need some love, please. Like, have you ever just kind of felt like you kind of woke up at a deficit in the love area, right? If you have a significant person in your life and you're like, you're not doing your job, right? Like, have you, no, am I the only one? Yeah, come on. And I know I fail my significant other too, so it's all right, right? Like, yeah. But there's just times like I think that so often like, God, what you would want for me is that I would be loved, isn't it? And God's like, actually, what I want for you is to experience love, my love, so much so that you actually know how to love me back and love me in return and to love him, to love him with everything we are. So much so that it spills out to others around us. And, and it asks me, like, but why, God? Like, is it that he needs our love? Or is it that God knows what's best for us? That God knows that actually what would be the greatest joy in our life would be to experience him, to know his love so much that we could love him in response. Because stop and think about this for a minute. Why did God create us in the first place? Have you ever asked this question? You know who's really good at asking this question? Little kids. It's a brilliant question. And then I love it when they're like, and then where did God come from? And you're like, I'm out. <laughs> but I love this question. Like, God, why did you create us in the first place? And, and sometimes what people will say is like, God must have been lonely. Like, you know, just God all by himself in the vastness of space. He's like, I need some people. Or maybe God was just bored. Let's see what happens. <laughs> and, and, and yet that, that just doesn't seem to make sense when we understand who God is supposed to be. Like God, God, by definition, is the greatest being ever, which means that God in who God is can't lack anything or have any deficiencies, which means that God is never lonely or God is never bored. God is the greatest there is, which is maybe then why he made us. Maybe God made us because he knew how awesome he was and he wanted to share himself with us. Which at one level almost sounds a little bit arrogant, right? Because I mean, like when I, when, I, when I apply my own dysfunctions onto God, it always goes, goes wrong, right? Instead of letting God be God. But like, could you imagine if I, I was like, hey, you and I should be friends. And you're like, why? And like, because I'm awesome. You'd be like, uh, what? <laughs> 
And yet for God to recognize how great he is isn't arrogance, that's just reality. For God to realize that he is the greatest is for him to just acknowledge the truth. And for him to realize the greatest thing I could give to another being is an experience of myself. That's actually a gift. That's a beautiful thing that God would want to do for us. And so the reason I think God created us is that we could know him, that we could experience him, and that our greatest joy in life would be that we would encounter God and experience all that he is. And that's the beautiful picture we see in the opening story that we have in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. In the creation story, we see God doing all these beautiful things and and creating us as a race. And we're told that he breathed his breath of life into us. And we're told that we became living beings, unique from anything else in, in the created order that he had done, that we could actually know him and engage with him. And in the first two chapters of Genesis, you just see this beautiful picture. This dance of our first parents having a relationship with God, and it was this beautiful place. That was what God intended for us. The problem is what happens in chapter 3. That something happens, our first parents choose to believe this lie of a deceiver instead of trusting God. That God is actually good and God desires what's best for us. They somehow buy this lie that God's holding out on them. And this thing that God said don't do was meant to protect them. They think God's holding out on them because of the lie that they were told. And so they do the one thing God says not to do. And it doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to brokenness and shame and fear and hiding. And so this life we were meant to have to know this God and experience him and walk with him was broken. And it's this generational thing that's broken. Because as much as I want to look at them and blame them... I've done my own version of that in my life. And yet the amazing thing is the story doesn't end in chapter 3. Because God meets them in their brokenness. And here's the consequence. Yes, when you walk away from me, you walk towards death. But I will pursue you in the brokenness. And God promises to send a rescuer. God promises to send one who will come into the story who will defeat our brokenness and give us life. He pursues us. He doesn't kick us to the curb. He doesn't abandon us. He pursues us so we can be saved from our mess and restored to him once more. And that's the beautiful thing when we encounter Jesus. It's like here's God's love given to us through this person who came into the story to bring us out of mess and brokenness back into life with him. And I love what his first followers and his closest friends discovered about Jesus, which is why we have so much of what we have in the pages of this book, in what we call our New Testament, the stories of Jesus and beyond. And I love what one of his closest friends, his buddy John, writes about Jesus and God's love given through Jesus as he's reflecting on this near the the end of his life. John writes this in 1 John 4, 9 through 10. He says, God showed how much he loved us By sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Like like John was experiencing this in his own story. And John had listened when Jesus talked to him about life. Like this is John remembering, oh, this is what Jesus meant when Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. This is this life he invites us into that when we put our trust in him and our faith in him, that Jesus, I need help and you're it. And so would you give me a new life? We step out of darkness into light. We step out of brokenness into in being made new. We step out of lostness into foundness. We step out of death into life. 
And this is what John experienced. And it's like, this is why Jesus is so amazing. And he's God's demonstration of love to us. And then he goes on and he says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That Jesus came into the story to meet us in the mess as we are. And to say, and I can help you. I can take that away. That brokenness, that struggle, that thing that that just has its grip on you. And when Jesus went to the cross, all of our mess and brokenness died with him. And then he defeated death so we could have the hope of new life in him. And, And I love what John is saying here because what he's helping us understand is that this is actually what love looks like. That God gives us his best by sending his son into the story. Not when we were at our best, but when we were actually at our worst. God made the first move. It's like if you go to a a, a junior high dance, it's really awkward and everyone's standing on the walls. And God's like, let's dance. God made the first move. He sent his son into the story to say, I love you. Let's get on with our life. I want to pursue you on something. And through his love, he invites us to step into this journey with him. And we begin to be transformed by his love to step back into the life we were created for, to become the people we were meant to be. And God gives us his best through Jesus. And in giving us his best, he now invites us to step into the dance with him and invites us to begin to reciprocate by giving our best. And loving him in return. How cool is that? That God's like so good that he loves us first. And then invites us back into the story with him so we can begin to love him in response. And yet how do we do that? Like how do we respond? How do we reciprocate his love? How do we respond in the way that God loved us? Well, it's interesting when we begin to kind of look at how God loved us. God loved us by giving us his best, by giving us Jesus, right? So it it would kind of stand to reason that maybe then the way that I love God back is by somehow learning to give my best to him. Giving the best of who I am to him as a response of love toward him. And, And it's not that I give him my best in order to earn his love. Like a religious game. Like, God, if I could just be good enough, then you'll love me. Like, no, not at all. God has already extended his love to us. It's like I respond in kind by giving my best so I can step more fully into his love. It's kind of like God's already reaching out, and I'm just responding so I can step more deeply in. When, when, when our girls were young, and our youngest daughter was really young, we used to reach out to her and say, like, hey, Brooklyn, come here, I want to give you a hug. And we'd have our arms wide. And so she'd come walking up to the hug. And then she would just like, like lean into it really awkwardly. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, we have to teach you how to do this. But there was this time that for, for the longest time, she would just lean awkwardly into the hug. And then I remember watching, watching Christy give her a hug one day. And I was like, Brooklyn, come here. Do you know what makes a hug really good? When you wrap your arms around her just like she's wrapping her arms around you. And so I'm like, try it. <laughs> And so she wraps her arms around mom, and then suddenly she's like, oh, this is what a hug is. It's like, yes. And it's kind of the same idea with God. God's already extended his love to us. The question is, how do we step into that and extend our love back so we begin to experience the full expression of that love? And so God gives us his best 
and now invites us to respond by giving our best. So I want to spend some time exploring some ways that we can do that. How can I give my best? How can you give your best? So we can step more fully into the love God has already given to us and experience it more and more. And so what I want to do is walk through a few things, three things that, that are ways that we could possibly do this and hopefully give you some, some tools to help with each of these. And so I just want to be careful whenever we talk about tools that we don't make them rules. Does that make sense? Because a tool is meant to be something that helps you. And so often what we tend to do is we take the tool and we make it a rule and we find what works for us and then we make everyone else do the same thing. And it's like, no, it might not actually work for you. So all I want to do with the tools when we get to these tools is to say, here's how this could look, and then invite you to ask God to say, how does this play out in my relationship with you? And if you're here today and you're like, I don't know any of this stuff, awesome. Practice something this week and just see what God wants to do as he meets you. And so let's talk about this, some ways that we can give God our best. Here's, here's the first way that I think we can begin to do this. Give God the best of your attention. Have you ever been with someone, but they're not really with you? That's awesome, isn't it? Like, if you have teenagers, you know what that's like. My teenagers know what it's like when I'm like, no, I'm sorry, I'm getting a high level here on my phone. And you're like, Dad, I'm supposed to be the teenager. Stop acting like the teenager. And I'm like, oh, so, sorry, yes, what did you need, right? Like, it's, it's just something that we can do, right? But I think just like sometimes I wonder for this, like, how much of your life do you share with God? Because I think for some of us, the way we were raised or trained or the, the religious context we came from, we give God one hour on Sunday. And that's it. Instead of realizing that we can actually give God the best of our attention throughout the week. But we've got to make that choice to focus on it. I remember when, when, before Christy and I got married, we did some premarital counseling, and the, the guy that was just working with us at the time, he, he was talking about, what do you think is more important, quantity of time together or quality of time together? And it was a trick question, because the answer was both, because sometimes it's just about being together, even if it's not like candles, but sometimes it's about creating special moments as well. And I think when we begin to understand giving God the best of our attention is this reality that, that God, as I go throughout my day, as I go throughout my week, I can build something with you where I'm giving you my attention and I'm beginning to focus on who you are and, and what's going on in my story. And so a couple, some tools to walk through to help with this. What, one I would just say is spending time looking at what God has shared with us about who he is is a really good way to give God your attention. Scripture. Like what we're told about this book is that this is God telling us the truth of life and reality. And as we get into this, we begin to discover God's heart, God's design, God's desires for who we're meant to be. And we look at this and, and it's fun when you read through it because you're like, I'm confused by a lot of it, which is cool. Keep reading, keep growing, keep studying. But the more we get into this book, the more we begin to see God's heart and we begin to hear his voice. And so there's this really awesome tool. If you don't have a physical book or you're not into that, like if you're new school, it's on your phone. It's called the YouVersion app. How many of you have this or you've downloaded this? It's a phenomenal tool. And, and there's these reading plans that are there. And if you don't like to read, you can have someone read it to you. 
It's amazing. And there's this little th- gift every single day. There's just, here's the verse of the day, and there's somebody just sharing their thoughts on it. And, and it has this little tool. But, but it's just a great way to get into it, to say, God, I just, I just want to learn to hear your voice. I want to reflect on the things that you've said. And I want to invite you to take these words and speak into me so I can begin to understand you and walk into the life you have for me. But th- this is just a tool. And you know what's amazing about this book? How accessible it is. It's like available every single day. And I would just encourage you, figure out how to build that time into the rhythm of your life. And like sometimes people are like, I got to read the whole Bible in a year. And like my wife's on this thing called the Bible Shred, and she's just going through the whole Bible in a year. And I'm like, good luck. Um, But I think like for some of us, maybe it's better just to pick one day where I read on something and then reflect on it throughout the week. Because one of the things with a tool, right, is when we start to fall behind. Have you, how many of you have done a Bible reading plan? And you're like, I'm a month behind. And now you're like, now I can't do it, right? Like, again, it's a tool. Don't make it a rule. <laughs> but maybe just pick something you read once a week and spend time focusing on it. Like, I'm in Isaiah 41 right now, and I've been there for a week and a half. And I just keep reading that and reflecting on it, reading that and reflecting on it. That's what's working for me right now. Here's another thing that I would encourage you to do. It's, again, this is a tool it's something I've done at different points in my life just to help me have time of attention focusing on God. And it's something called ACTS, A-C-T-S. And it's just an acrostic that just helps create, how do I spend time with you, God? What do I do? And it's, it's a four-step thing. And some people use it as they journal. Some people just use it as a, as a way to think through how I'm going to pray and what I'm going to focus on as I pray. And so it's kind of got some old-school language, but it's still a helpful tool. But here's what each of the letters stand for. The first letter, A, stands for this word adoration, adore. <laughs> and the whole idea is that I start my time focusing on you, God, this time of giving you my attention by thinking about and telling you how awesome I think you are. Like, God, look at the amazing things that you've done in this world. Look at how incredible you are. Look at what you've done. Look at what is in the stories of this book. Look at what you've done in my own story. And you know what's interesting about that? God doesn't need us to tell him how awesome he is. We need that. Because it's amazing in my own story how quickly I begin to think other things are more awesome than God is. But when I actually take time to spend and just to remind myself and to let God reflect with me in that moment to how, tell God how awesome he is, it keeps God where God needs to be in my life. And puts the other things as just other things. Here's the C. The C stands for this, confession. Now, some of us grew up with a Catholic tradition, so we think that means going into an awkward booth and having an awkward conversation, right? That's not what this means. This just means simply talking to God about the mess. God, I need help. He will never shy away from that conversation. There will never be a moment when you're asking God for help and he'll be like, what? What we're doing in that moment is saying, God, I have struggles in my life. Would you come in and meet me and help me? And as we invite God to work in those places, we begin to experience his power in us, helping us walk in greater freedom in those areas that we're wrestling with. The T stands for this, thanksgiving. So this is different than adoration. Thanksgiving is now saying, God, I just want to say thank you for what you've done in my story. God, I want to say thankful for your faithfulness in the past. God, I want to say thank you for what I've seen you do every day of my life. And again, the reason this is so important for us to do this is because 
Isn't it amazing how quickly we forget how good God is when it goes sideways today? And when I reflect on God's, what God has done, it helps give me hope for what I'm going through today. And so, God, thank you. And then the, the, the S stands for this. Again, these are like old school words, but it's just a funny word. Supplication. Again, if you have teenagers, you know what this is. Can I have? Can I have? <laughs> and I think it's so appropriate to simply say to God, God, can you help me with my need? And God, can I have? And we ask kids asking a good dad for good things. And one thing that's really interesting is when you begin to ask God for things and you see him show up, like you suddenly have something to be thankful for. But also when you begin to ask God for things and it doesn't come through the way you want, it begins to maybe shape the heart of what you should be asking for. Right? So anyone asked to win the lottery recently? Yeah, right? And yet maybe God's like, no, that would actually not be good for you. And as we begin to see things that aren't given when we ask for them, it actually helps us begin to realize, oh, God, maybe I can trust you with this if you're going to do it a different way. But again, this is just a tool that helps with this. And these are kind of these first two, like getting into Scripture and maybe using a tool like this or, or how we develop what I would call quality time. But then how do we begin to just have quantity with God? And one of the things that I would encourage you to do is something called practicing the presence of God. Jesus said something really cool about God. In John chapter 4, he's having this conversation with a woman who they believe a little bit differently than Jesus did as a Jew. So Jesus and Jews would have worshipped in the temple, and she worshipped up on this mountain as a Samaritan. And then Jesus just says simply to her, he says, look, a time is coming when we're neither going to worship God in the temple or you're going to worship God on the mountain. You're going to worship God wherever you are. He said, because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Those are the worshipers God is looking for. And what Jesus means by that is that God is not limited by a location. That wherever you are, you can find God. And there's this beautiful thing that even in the most mundane places of life, we can invite God to be in that space with us. So when I was a teenager, somebody gave me this book called uh, Practicing the Presence of God by this monk from several centuries ago, this dude called Brother Lawrence. I was like, that sounds riveting. (laughs) But then I read it and just saw how this guy lived this out in his own story. And one of the things that he would do when he was working in the monastery, he was baking bread. And he said this became the most joyful moment of his life because as he was baking the bread, he just kept inviting God into that place. And I thought, I might as well try it. I worked at Baskin Robbins at the time. And I thought, God, can you meet me in the ice cream case? I remember every time someone come in and order, I would go down and start scooping ice cream. And suddenly I just began to like, God, would you just meet me here? And God, I just, I just want to invite you into this moment. And it was amazing how worshipful scooping ice cream became because I was inviting God to be in that place with me. And I suddenly realized wherever I go, wherever I walk, God, you're there. If I'm willing to give you my attention and I can begin to experience you in my story. But as we begin to do this, we give God the best of our attention. We begin to step more fully into the love that's there for us. This is one of the ways that we respond is by giving God the best of our attention. Here's another way. It's by giving God the best of your time. Now, I mean this differently than attention, because obviously attention means time. But what I mean by this is not just simply giving God my attention, but I mean using your time to love God. Using the time that you have to serve God him in a way that says, God, because of your love for me, I want to do something in response to you. And one of the best ways we actually serve God with our time is by serving 
each other. Because remember the answer Jesus gave to the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love God with everything you've got, right? And then what did he say? And, and the other is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That these two are deeply, deeply connected. Like we don't give God our time because he actually needs our help. It's not like the friend that's like, can you help me move? God's not like ever stuck. We give God our time because we're actually learning to reflect his heart to the world around us. God, how can I help others in my story? How can I serve people? Again, I love how John captures this in 1 John 4, 11 through 12. He says, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Again, I love what John's saying here, because catch that idea. Like the idea is, if, if, if I want to experience more of God's love at work in me, I got to be willing to share the love he's already given me. And that the more I share that love, the more I'm open to him giving more of that love to me. It's like, it's like a conduit. The more I'm able to like share the love I have, God's like, sweet, now here comes more, and here comes more, and here comes more. One of the reasons we struggle with this, though, is that so often we're just waiting for someone else to go first. Like you think about the, like the life of a church doing life together, we could all just show up here on a Sunday and sit around and wait, right? Well, who's going to love first? I'll love once you start loving me. But you know what's really cool about going first? The people that go first suddenly realize, wait, I'm already loved. Why am I just sitting around? I've got something to give. I've got something to contribute. I've got something to offer the people around me in this place. And the more that we actually do that, the more we begin to experience it. His love is brought to full expression in us. So whatever extent you've experienced God's love in your, in your life so far, do you realize that like, you've probably just scratched the tip of the iceberg? Like there's more of that for you? as you're willing to give out of the love he's given you to serve others? And so some tools that can help with this. How do we like love God with our time? Well, one way I would just share as we seek to be church together, join a Sunday team. We've got all sorts of teams around here. We've got the worship team. We've got the tech team. Those are kind of specialized teams. If you don't have rhythm, like I should never be on the worship team. Like I can't even clap and beat, right? So I'm just going to serve our church in another way. But if you've got skills in that arena, there's a place for you. We've got a guest experience team. If you know how to just make a warm, inviting place, there's a place for you. We've got an amazing next-gen team in our church that helps serve our kids so that those kids know that they are loved. But you've got to maybe think through the framework of what you think church is so you begin to grasp this. Because if all church is is a thing you go to, then it's easy simply to show up as a consumer. Like in the same way I go to see a movie, I'm just here to be entertained and get my popcorn. But if I see church as a people I do life with, as a people I build into, suddenly when I show up to church, it's not as a consumer, it's as a contributor. How do I make this a better place for the people around me? And let me tell you, we've got needs as we're rebuilding as a church, as we're coming out of COVID, as we're stepping out. And there's a very specific area where we have big needs as we're rolling into summer right now. It is with our next gen. We've got amazing people that have been serving, but people are going on vacation over the course of summer. And if we're going to continue that, that program going, church, we need you to step up. We need about 15 people who would be willing to say, I will help serve over the course of this summer. 
this room could cover the base right now if you're a safe person. And so here's what I just want to put that out there. Between this week and next week, would you ask God to say, God, does that got my name on it? And just respond and say, I'll serve. I can give a Sunday. Go talk to Shannon at the, the Next Gen check-in desk afterwards today. She can get you more information. But church, this is a need we could meet if we just simply said, I can do this. God, I'll give you the best of what I've got. I will serve. I will share out of what you've done for me. And I will make a difference in another person's life because I want to step more fully into the love you've given me and you have for me. Here's another way that you can do this. Look for opportunities in your close relationships or even in your, your, your group. So we do small groups here because church is so much more than just what happens on a Sunday morning. We do small groups because that's how we walk together to encourage each other and help each other grow. And let me tell you, there's formal ways as a church that we invite you into service, and then there's just informal ways where you just are brought into opportunities that God has for you to just serve another person. Groups are a beautiful way to discover opportunities that God has for you to meet a need. I don't know if you've ever been just huddled up in your small group, and someone's just sharing what's going on in their story, and you suddenly kind of feel like that tap on the shoulder, that's the Holy Spirit just saying, like, this one is yours. <laughs> and you realize, I can help with that. A friend that needs to move or, or somebody that's got a resource challenge, and you're like, maybe I can meet that need. That's a beautiful moment where God is inviting you to help in someone else's story. I've experienced this multiple times. Uh, my buddy Mike, who's working in the tech booth, so you can all look at him and make him feel awkward. Um, we had just gotten into this new house that we're renting, and we had those heavy winds a few weeks ago. Remember those fun heavy winds? And so ha one of these tree branches just stripped off and fell. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. And like, I have scissors. I don't even know how to cut this thing up. And so we were talking in a group, and Mike's like, well, I got, I got a, like a hacksaw tool. Like, I'll bring it by so you can use it. I'm like, cool. Oh, thanks. So we set up a time where he came. And so I'm like getting ready to take the tool, and he's just like, let's do this. I'm like, what, what do you mean? And so he just goes into the backyard, and I just kind of stand on the branch. And he cuts the thing up for me because he was serving my family. I remember in another church experience, uh, I needed to get new brakes for the car. That was never a skill I acquired. And I remember I just asked around, and someone was like, oh, you need to go see Dave. And I kind of knew who Dave was. And so I remember I just called Dave up, and he's like, what car is it? Okay, go buy these brakes, and then meet me at my shop. And I'm like, okay, he's got an auto shop. So I meet him at his shop. It's a print store. I'm like, this makes no sense. And he's like, yeah, bring it around. And he jacks the car up, and he just begins to swap out my brakes. And I'm like, like, Dave, how do you know to do this? He's like, I'm just, I'm good with my hands. And so I'm like, okay, i got to learn how to do this so I can do it myself. So I'm like right in his space. Like, he's working on it. And then suddenly he just looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to learn how to do brakes, Dave. And he just stops. He goes, Joel, I do brakes. That's how I serve our church. You teach. You do other stuff. I got this. Can I just tell you how loved I felt in that moment? Because here's a guy serving out of the overflow of what God was doing in his story. Like, how easy is that? And how messy is that? And how beautiful is that? When we just choose to serve out of the love we've already been given. Here's another way we can begin to give God our best. Give God the best of your resources. This is where it gets awkward. Uh-oh, money. We're talking about money. <laughs> I, I get it. I get that this can sometimes be a touchy subject as we talk about this. 
It can generate a lot of cynicism. And yet I think, why? Why, why would it do that? Like, why would we somehow think that this area of our life is something we would hold back from God when it's time to give him our best? Like, Jesus never seemed to shy away from this conversation. Like, you look at the things he taught about money, and he, he actually encouraged us to leverage our money and leverage our resources to make an eternal impact, to not simply use it for ourselves. Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, never shied away from this conversation. He actually told us that money is the root of all evil, so get rid of it. It's actually not what he said, is it? No, he said money, not money, the what of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. That oftentimes the issue with money is our relationship with money, isn't it? So maybe there's a reason we flinch when we talk about this. And maybe it actually matters what we do with our resources because maybe our relationship with money can actually interfere with our relationship with God until we're really willing to surrender our relationship with money to God. And say, God, what do you want from this area of my life? All right, and so what happens when we, when we begin to trust God in this area? What happens when we begin to give the best of our resources to God and say, God, I want to actually honor you with this? We get to build things together. Not just a building, but we get to build a church together. We get to chase after the things that God wants to do together. You know, we can do more together than we can do individually. When we're all willing to just put our best on the table in this area and say, God, what do you want to do with this? We can do far more in our church and in our community than on our own. And when we begin to honor God with our resources, we begin to experience a greater life. One of the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, it says this. This is the great wisdom literature in the scriptures that kind of just speaks. Here's how life works when we're kind of doing it the best we know how. And it says this. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Can I tell you how I wish this read? God, once you fill my barns and give me the good wine, then I'll honor you with what I have. And it's the opposite. Because there's this invitation of trust. God, when I begin to trust you with what you've given me, then I'll let you refill <laughs> out of what I've given. I'll let you expand my life. I'll let you bless me in ways that I wouldn't experience when I'm just holding on to it for myself. And again, this isn't about earning something. It's about experiencing more of what he wants to give us. And again, so some, some simple tools to do this. Give. And seek to give regularly. And see what God wants to do through your generosity. See what, see what God wants to do through your life as you do this. And I think sometimes we, like, we give, I don't know if it's reluctantly or whatever, but I, like, I know in my own story there's times where I, I kind of give like I'm at a restaurant. And I'm like, well, if the service is good and if the meal is good, I'll, I'll tip good. And like some of us, that's how we give, right? We're tipping God. Versus saying, no, God, I'm going to give you my best out of the gate. Because I believe you're worthy. And I believe you're worth it. And I want to trust you with that. And so, so one of the ways that we do this is by our regular giving. But another way that we do this, by honoring God with the best of our resources, is through special opportunities that come up. New Life, you crushed it for Mexico this year. I know Ron shared some of that last week. But do you know how amazing it is that what we've been able to do together to help get ready for this trip? 
And it didn't just start this month. We actually started it last Christmas. How many of you were here for Christmas? And we talked about the special fundraising we wanted to do to be, build these houses. Like, we covered the base to build the houses last calendar year in anticipation of this trip because of the collective generosity of this church. And then we're like, oh, there's more opportunity to do good. So how can we help this every kid's hope thing get back into place so it's going well? And we put that out there, $3,500, and you stepped up to the plate. Because when you're responding, God, I want to step into that embrace. I just want to give out of what I have. Collectively, we got to make a difference. And special opportunities, again, sometimes it's through what we as a church are tackling, but sometimes, again, it's what God's just going to put in front of you. A, a, a moment, he, a, a need he'll want you to meet. I remember getting a chance to do this in a small group. This is one of the most beautiful giving moments I ever got to be a part of. We're, we're, we're with this group of friends that have been meeting together for about a year. And we're just knowing each other's stories and lives. And so some of the, our friends in this group, their business was just getting rocked. And so they were just going through a hard time financially. And then one of their kids got a really bad toothache. And if you got, if, again, if you have a heart for your kids and you see your kids suffering, you want to alleviate it. And so they just had to go to the dentist, but they couldn't afford the bill. And so they were just like sharing one night a group. So after that night, one of the women in the group reaches out to the rest of us and says, I think we can cover this if we're all willing to pitch in something. And everyone just kind of put money in an envelope. No one checked who was given what. We just all kind of said, let's see what we can do. And collectively, we did more to cover that bill than what was needed. And so the next day, she went to the dentist's office and just said, like, I'm here on behalf of this family. We would like to cover the bill. Can you apply this to their account? And the lady's like, who are you? (laughs) You know what was so cool, what she was able to say? We're her church, and we love her. That's hugging back. (laughs) That's experiencing the best of what God wants to do in our lives. And see, when we give God our best, we step more fully into his best. And we get to experience more of what he wants. And it's not something we earn It's something we reciprocate because he's already offered it to us and giving it freely to us. And as we do that, we begin to step more fully into the life we were created for, a life of being loved by God and loving him in return. There's this beautiful moment where God's speaking to his people in Jeremiah 29, and they're going through a rough time, and God's just inviting them to step back in their pursuit of him because generationally they'd walked away from him. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he just says this beautiful thing. He goes, hey, you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's like this beautiful invitation. Like, it's almost like God's like, you want to play hide and seek? Let's do it. But you're going to find me. I'm not going to stay hidden. When you chase after me with all you've got, when you pursue me, you will find me. And so imagine what your life would look like at the end of this year if you began to reciprocate this week. God, I'm just going to give you the best of my attention. God, I'm going to give you the best of my time. God, I'm going to give you the best of my resources. I'm just going to pursue you with everything I've got. What will your life look like six months from now as you begin to do that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the same six months from now. I, I want to know God's love more and more in my life, and I want to experience it to greater extent. And so I just want to encourage you, hug him back. However, he stirs your heart to do that. And watch what happens in your story and through your story. 
as you make room in your life for God to show up. So Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who takes the first step. That you're not a God that we've got to climb the mountain and jump through the hoops. You're a God who sent your son down from the mountain to be with us. To meet us as we are and then to bring us into life with you. So God, I would just ask that you would help us see your goodness. And then respond by trusting you. And realizing that because we are loved by you, we can love you back with everything we've got. And that is our best life. And so, Lord, we give you our lives. We surrender to you because we know you are good and we know you are worth it. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.